On the Shooter's Touch this week, we bring on guest Michael Admire. He's a passionate Des Moines resident who is currently the director of broadcasting at Drake University. He broadcasts a lot of the athletic teams at Drake, most notably currently the number 25th ranked Drake men's basketball team who just moved to 17-0. We talked to Michael about childhood as we usually do, how sports played a role in his childhood, what sports he was the best at, and how he got to be the director of broadcasting at Drake. He has an interesting story, and actually the second guest we've had who knew he wanted to be in journalism from day one. He made strategic moves and made strategic connections to do that. Very interesting and awesome time talking to Michael. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Here is Michael Admire. Welcome back, Shooters, to another episode of the Shooters Touch. This week, we bring on the Director of Broadcasting at Drake University, Mr. Michael Admire. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I, I'm excited to be on here, but I'm by far like the least intelligent, least intelligent basketball mind you've ever had on this podcast. I mean, I've only been doing this thing for a couple of years, and I've listened to some of the episodes. You've had some really impressive guests on. So I'll try to do my, I'll hold my own here, I guess. Oh, we're, we're not, we're not worried about that at all. There's a reason why we had you on. We're excited to, to have a conversation and talk a little bit and get your story. But before we get into it, wild times right now that we're living in, how's, how's the family holding up? How's, how's everything going on your end? Yeah, my wife and I are, are doing fine. We have a couple dogs at home, so they're keeping us busy. Uh, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, so we're riding the wave of that. And uh, it's been interesting because, you know, the, the team has been shut down now for, I think, exactly uh, 16 days, 17 days, something like that. But, like, with the switch, it opened up all the Sundays throughout the playoffs. So I've been able to watch the Chiefs. So that's, uh, <laughs> I guess, with, with some bad, uh, there's been a little bit of good. But, no, yeah, we're, we're hanging in there like everybody else. It's definitely kind of been the story or the silver lining with everything is you you're, we're missing out on a ton, but there's a lot of those little things in time that we've gotten back through quarantine and uh, this whole pandemic. I wasted all this time back in December stressing out about all these Sunday games and it didn't even matter. <laughs> That's good. Definitely a glass half full uh, mentality there for sure. Um, well, Hey, we like to, um, we like to start the podcast episodes off here talking a little bit about you, obviously. Um, and let's go way back. You know, where'd you grow up? Uh, how was childhood sports you may have played and how those played a part um, in your childhood? So I grew up in the Kansas City metro, uh, lived in Raytown, uh, which is like basically right in the heart of Kansas City. Lived there until second grade, then moved out to a suburb of Lee Summit. I played football and baseball. Those were my two sports growing up and my two first loves when it, come, when it comes to sports. Um, and yeah, uh, grew up a Chiefs Royals fan, uh, went to games as often as we could. My dad's a huge sports fanatic and, uh, we would always go to, you know, Chiefs Royals games, uh, throughout, you know, my childhood. I mean, that was a huge part of growing up in the city. And, uh, when I went, moved out to Lee Summit, really got into really, really dove into club baseball and, uh, really cranked up the football work, uh, you know, through middle school and into high school and uh, was able to play uh, my high school. So we opened my sophomore year. So I started at one school my freshman year and then uh, opened, uh, at least some at West opened my sophomore year. So we were like starting all these like sports traditions at least some at West, which is really cool. And I was a part of the first uh, football team in school history to win a game. I was the first player in high school or the first player on the football team to score a touchdown. Uh, so that will always stand. Uh, I mean, there were some cool things all throughout um, high school playing sports, both football and baseball at the varsity level. Uh, but I, I knew quickly that, you know, 5'10", 175 pounds, that, that doesn't really translate to call the college level. So uh, I got into sports broadcasting to stay as close as I could to the, to the game. And, 
um, I was into broadcasting from like six years old. Uh, I, told, I told you my dad and I were huge sports fans. We loved the Chiefs and Royals. And we'd often find ourselves in the middle of the summer, you know, putting a game on mute. And we would just talk through it. We would talk through the plays. We would start calling balls and strikes. We would talk through the scenarios. And it kind of just became our own broadcast. And that's kind of where I first fell in love or first kind of dabbled into sports broadcasting. And that, that stayed all throughout high school and into college. Wow. That's uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, with your, uh, what you're doing now, it, it, it helps to have a lot of experience doing that. And especially starting when you're, when you're that young. Um, one quick question. I have a couple buddies who have moved down to Kansas city. And the first question they're always asked is, are you Mizzou or KU? So which one were you? Man, I was neither. I was neither. Neither. I, I, um, my, or my mom grew up in Nebraska. So growing up, I was a Nebraska fan and loved Husker football. You know, it was the nineties. So it was a great time to be a Husker football fan. And then baseball wise, you know, the early two thousands, they had some killer baseball teams. And I really got into college baseball with Alex Gordon. And there's a guy named Matt Hopper on the team. He's a left-handed first baseman, or I think he's a right-handed first baseman that just smashed uh, with those aluminum bats that could, <laughs> I mean, the ping it sent him 500 feet. Uh, but no, I, I, yeah, I grew up a, I grew up a Nebraska fan college wise, but uh, all my friends were, you know, you were either Missouri or a Kansas fan. And uh, I, I always tried to toe the line because, you know, I have one buddy that would go, yeah, I have, I have tickets to a Mizzou basketball game. Want to go check out a game? Yeah, I'll go with you. I'll cheer on Mizzou. And then the next weekend, my buddy had tickets at Fog Allen. Oh, I'll, I'll go with you there too. So I played that line pretty smoothly. So kind of the best of both worlds then is what you're saying. Yes. I, I, I loved the rivalry though, man. I love anytime Mizzou and KU would play, whether it was football or, or basketball, I was locked in because it was just such a fun rivalry and I had no dog in the fight. So it was just, it was just pure enjoyment. Yeah, I'm assuming that it's, you know, here in Iowa, and obviously Brian and I grew up here in Iowa, but, you know, the Iowa and Iowa State rivalry, you have lived that here for the, you know, probably ever since you've been here. And so I'm assuming it's just like that. Yeah, the passion for those two fan bases and, you know, honestly, sometimes hatred for the other, uh, it makes those games interesting, whether it's a undefeated team against a winless team or you know a 500 team against a 500 team it, it, it's always interesting when those two when those two teams play yeah they're the rivalries are pretty similar I mean the only thing now is Kansas and Missouri don't play each other so yeah. uh, they've been in a hiatus for a decade it feels like um, so that's why I give mad props to Iowa and Iowa State for continuing to figure out how to play each other every year yeah, it's definitely fun um, as, a, as a fan. But let's maybe jump back into broadcasting there. So obviously you mentioned very, very young when you, I guess, in quotations, got into broadcasting. Um, outside of, you know, watching games on mute with your, with your family, with your dad, how did you, how did you kind of scratch that itch, you know, going through elementary, going through middle school? Um, was there anything that you did kind of add the ordinary to maybe move towards broadcasting or journalism? Yeah, I was really lucky to be in a school district that had broadcasting classes we had broadcasting classes in middle school and into high school and uh, in middle school I took like the seventh grade class really enjoyed it was you know doing the Wednesday announcements or whatever they may be and then you had to like apply to get into the eighth grade class and my eighth grade teacher she was also my seventh grade teacher her name was uh, Teresa Gilmore and and she did not let me into the eighth grade class because she said I was too immature. And then she didn't trust me around the computers and the cameras. And I was so, I was so bummed. Uh, but about, uh, I'd say eight years later, uh, I'm working in television in Southeast Kansas. And I get an email from Teresa Gilmore saying that she was visiting family uh, in Southeast Kansas and saw me on television and just told me how proud she she wasn't me she didn't mention that she kept me out of the eighth grade class but uh that's that's something that's like always uh stayed with me but uh yeah so middle school i tried my best to do as much as i could got into like you know class acting classes and all that stuff to you know stay stay involved in being in front of people and then in high school 
I had one of the best high school broadcasting teachers in the country. And I mean that literally. Uh, she's won award after award for um, just how, how good her classes are. That's insane. Uh, her name's Carrie Smithia, and she's still uh, molding young minds at least Summit West. But uh, yeah, so we had, we had, we did play by play through high school. We did, we had news magazines. So once a month we would tell stories and uh, we would air those throughout the entire school. And, you know, I first got into to it my freshman year, I wanted to do play by play. So I was like, I want to do play by play, blah, blah, blah. But then my teacher really uh, thought I had a skill set when it came to like storytelling. She's like, you should really think about getting into like sports storytelling and get into television news and that kind of stuff. And so then I kind of shifted my mindset through high school and into college. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into, uh, into television news and I'm going to try to be a network anchor, a sports anchor or, you know, a network sports reporter storytelling in some capacity. And so that was like my, that, that was like my goal all through high school was to, you know, get into a position to be able to, to do that for a career. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's great that, your school allowed you to do that. I mean, I, I know speaking from, I guess my end, being from small town, Iowa in a small school, there just wasn't that avenue to take in my, in my, in my school, if you wanted to or not. So awesome that you got to do that. Um, I guess you mentioned college, um, went to Pittsburgh state and, um, assuming you went there because of, uh, you know, journalism and broadcasting. So how did you decide on them? Um, obviously, you know, a little bit closer to where, where you're from. So it kind of worked out there, huh? Yeah, it worked out very well. Uh, they had, so around the Kansas City area, you mentioned KU and Missouri. I visited both schools. You have the J School at Missouri. It's one of the best in all of the world. Uh, Kansas also has a really good journalism school. So I went to both. I liked what both provided, but neither of them felt like home. Um, I actually had my uh, money. I was planning on going to Northwest Missouri State. I'd already put the down payment for my dorm room, all that stuff, because they have a really, really good program. And uh, at least some at West, a lot of the students from our program had gone to Northwest. So I would, I've already known a lot of people in the program up there. But uh, I had a friend that went down to Pittsburgh State and I went down one weekend for spring football, my senior year of high school. And that was like, this feels like home. I mean, this is exactly where I wanna be. Uh, they uh, and the one thing that Pittsburgh State had that not many others had was a sports broadcasting specific uh, department. So every weekend you would travel to home, home or away uh, football games, and we would do the whole production: cameras, the five camera setup, replay, play by play, color commentating, all that stuff. And that immediately drew me to Pittsburgh State, and that's that's why I went there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And that, you know, it sounds like everything kind of worked out there, you know, with, the, uh, <clears throat> with you making the visit there. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, what about mentors for you? Um, it sounds like, you know, high school teacher may have been one of them. Um, how about, how about now? Who do you look up to? And maybe a secondary question, who is your favorite broadcaster within the game of basketball currently besides yourself, obviously. <laughs> I'm definitely not, I am not my favorite broadcaster. For that much. Um, Man, all right. So my, we'll start with mentors. Uh, yes, Carrie Smith, yeah, my high school broadcasting teacher. She's incredible, uh, and she like I tell people as much as I loved Pitt State and I love the atmosphere there and everything that I learned and all the experiences that I got. I learned more in high school about broadcasting than I ever learned in the four years at Pittsburgh State. And that's no knock on Pitt State. That's just how good Mrs. Smithia is at at, at teaching journalism and teaching broadcasting. Um, yeah, so she, she was big, uh, a couple of other guys. I mean, my, my head football coach, even though it wasn't broadcasting, he, uh, Royce Bame, he taught me how to be a man and, and taught me how to, uh, be a leader. And, um, uh, that, I think that just like really shaped me, uh, growing up and through the, through high school, which is always kind of an awkward time. My, my dad, my dad was a DJ in uh, Kansas city he, and like, CD-ROM DJ. So like they were switching DJs and mixing in between CDs and all that stuff. So like on Fridays and Saturday nights, he had a full-time job, but on Fridays and Saturday nights, he would uh, go out and DJ. And he was always on the mic. He was always, you know, introducing the songs. They would do skits 
for each song. So like devil went down to Georgia. My dad would put on a devil mask and his partner would put on a, a black hat and they would, you know, pretend to play the fiddle and kind of go back and forth. It was awesome. So, I mean, just all of those, um, just all those people in my life kind of helped shape and guide me to where, where I am right now. And obviously like I spent a lot of time just watching sports. So you're watching Bob Costas and you're watching Joe Buck and uh, Jim Nance. I mean, Jim Nance is amazing. Uh, you're, you're watching all those guys. Um, yeah. Throughout Mitch Holtis, the play-by-play voice of the chiefs. Uh, he also does a lot of Missouri Valley games. Uh, I'm watching and listening to those, to those guys. So Matt, I don't know if I could tell you my, my Jim Nance and Bob Costas are my favorite broadcasters mm-hmm. of all time. And it's because they can cross over. I love the, especially the versatility of Bob Costas. He can tell a story uh, a full length, you know, 10 minute story, but he can also call a baseball game. He can also call a football game. And that was something I always wanted to be able to do in my career. I wanted to be able to do play by play. I wanted to be able to shoot and edit video. I wanted to be able to do a podcast. I wanted to uh, tell stories uh, on a, um, whether it's Twitter or on, you know, channel 13 locally. I've always want took, took pride in kind of being able to do everything. Yeah. And it's a skill. It definitely, uh, not everybody can do it. Uh, you know, myself, I actually got a communications degree from Warburg and so on the electronic media side. And so I obviously didn't get near as deep into it as, as you did or have, but, uh, some of the stuff that you're saying is, is, is definitely ringing a bell or clicking with me. And so, um, with that specifically, then what was your actual degree that you, was it a journalism or sports broadcasting or what was the degree that you received? Uh, the degree that I received was, uh, a major in communications with an emphasis in sports broadcasting. I think that's what it was. And that's what I wanted. Cause it's always, I mean, you mentioned about the actual sports uh, broadcasting degree. Cause it's like, well, if you go into journalism, you're going to be covering and doing some stuff that maybe you're not as fond of or, or want to do as much. And so there's always a way around and it's, it's, it's neat to hear how you've kind of carved out your own little niche and, and, and obviously have been very good. And so once you, once you left school, then where was the first job? Where did you first hook into? Well, my first official job outside of college was at the Kansas City Zoo as a bartender. I spent the entire summer applying for jobs. Uh, I, I applied for 69 jobs before I got my first call back. And I was applying from uh, Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. No joke. Like I was, I was going to go anywhere. Um, I did prefer anywhere south of Kansas City. That was my goal. Is I'm never moving north of Kansas City, uh, but you know that first job, you gotta you gotta take it wherever it is. And um, so my senior year, I graduated a week to the day before the tornado, the Category Five tornado ripped through Joplin, wow. and uh, that tornado, I mean, it completely changed thousands and thousands of lives, hundreds of thousands of lives in that Southwest Missouri, Southeast Kansas area. And uh, the sports broadcaster at the time at KOAM uh, in the Joplin Pittsburgh market, um, he's from Ohio and he, he loses his entire apartment, loses all of his things. And it just like really jolted him. And he's like, I'm moving home. And so he basically moved back to Ohio with no job and the job then became open. Um, and I, I applied for it in August. So about three months later and got the job and I was in Southeast Kansas, Southwest Missouri, Northeast Oklahoma, Northwest Arkansas for, uh, about 18 months. And what was the, what was the position or what was the title? Uh, so I was like the weekend sports anchor for KOAM in the Joplin Pittsburgh market. Wow. That's no, that's really neat that. And you mentioned, I mean, that Joplin tornado, I, I remember that too. I think I was student teaching at the time. It was, yeah, that was, that was a, a terrifying situation for sure. But um, so then what was the next step? And ultimately how did, how did we land you uh, up here in Des Moines? So after about 18 months in market 142, especially in your college, uh, college town, it's time to get out. Uh, I was, I was ready to get the heck out of town and 
I started applying. Uh, my I had a little clause in my contract where I could get out at 18 months. And so I started just applying everywhere I, I could. Um, I was looking in the top 80 markets. Uh, I was ready for that next step. And um, I had job. I had a job interview in Mobile, Alabama. So it was like Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida. I like went down there for the job interview. Loved it. I mean, you're on the beach. Uh, you're covering Alabama and uh, Auburn. You, you get to cover a ton of great high school sports down there. So I was really excited about it. But then I got a call from uh, Rod Peterson, who's the um, news director at WHO here in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, he called me and was like, hey, we, we love your stuff. We want to get you up to Des Moines. So like I got back from Pensacola, Florida, and then drove up to Des Moines to do the, uh, do the interview. And I kind of get through the whole process. I meet Keith Murphy. Um, and I, I really like Keith right off the bat, really liked Rod. I love the station, all that stuff, but I was only there for like an hour. I just did the interview and, and then left and drove all the way back to Pittsburgh, Kansas, which is like a five hour drive. And, you know, the whole time I'm like contemplating on what I, what I would do. Like if I get offered by both and, uh, on the drive down, I got offered by both, uh, in that five hour span, I got offered by the mobile job and the Des Moines job. And uh, the Pensacola job, Mobile, whatever, they, they were offering a significant, like 10,000 grand more. And I was like, man, I could be making nothing in Des Moines, Iowa, or I could be making like a, at least above poverty line uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, so I told Rod that, I was like, hey, here's the deal. Like they're offering this. Can you guys get me anywhere near there? And he offered like the exact, he matched it which I was like really surprised by. So I called my dad who uh, you kind of see the trend throughout this uh, big mentor in my life. I called him. I was like, what, what do I do here? Uh, I, cause I really don't know. I'm torn. And he was basically like, he's like, you're kind of, he's like, you're a Midwest guy. Like we're, we're three hours away here in Kansas city. You'll still be close to home. You can still get back. We can go to chiefs games. Still we can go to Royals games. You can be around your family a little bit here, but um, you're still, you know, chasing your dream. And I was like, all right, dad, sounds good. Uh, let me call you back in five minutes. So I hung up with him, uh, called Rod and, and that's how it happened. I know it's a little bit long winded, but um, the, one of the, the main reason I went to WHO was because of Keith Murphy. I wanted to be around somebody in my second job that was going to help mentor me. And Keith, you could just tell, and even in an hour of conversation that he was going to uh, be a great mentor in my life. and. Uh, he has been that guy now, you know, and kind of my second wave of mentors that has been uh, such a gigantic help to me. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, obviously on the podcast, we talk a lot with coaches, but um, like you said, just partnering up or just getting in the same room of some of these guys that you can just learn from and, and use as mentors will, will obviously help and prolong your career. Um, and Keith is one of those guys, obviously been in the area, been in Iowa my whole life. And so Keith is, has definitely been a staple of sports um, and a good one to learn from. And so, well, that's great. So we're, so we're glad we're excited to have you. What was it like then all of a sudden you said you're never moving uh, further North than Kansas city. And then you come up here to, to cold Des Moines. What was your initial thought and, uh, and how welcoming was Des Moines when you first got here? Yeah. So I, I was like, I'm going to move downtown. That's uh, period. I'm going to live downtown. I'm going to experience, if I'm going to move to Des Moines, the city I'd never been to really, I'd only spent an hour in uh, for the job interview. I was like, I'm going to kind of like dive all the way in. And uh, so I finished my last day on like a Monday at six o'clock and I drove all the way to Des Moines. So I get to Des Moines around like midnight uh, and I start the next day. Uh, at Tuesday at channel 13 and my mom actually met me up uh, at my apartment and so we're moving stuff in at midnight and it starts to snow it's freezing it's February uh, it's miserable and this guy out of nowhere just like opens up the door helps prop the door and he like helps us helps me move in at midnight and I, from there it was just like I love this place and uh, everybody has been extremely welcoming. Uh, I mean, now it's home. I don't even, it's like, I like looking back to myself then and, and me now, it's just such a, it's polar opposites really. Um, 
And one of the things just about, uh, about moving here, not only were the people great, but everybody at work was so welcoming. We spent the first week on the job, like Keith and uh, Andy Fails and a guy named Brandon McCauley, who was the photographer there. Uh, they're like taking me around to every bar. So we went to the Longest Yard. We went to Hessen House. We went to Cooney's and like every night was a different place and it was awesome. So uh, they really made me feel welcome. And I was coming in, you know, after, uh, after Chris Hassel left. And so they're like, this guy's here to replace Hassel. He's never going to replace that. I was like, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to uh, kind of bring a, a different twist to it. Cause I'm definitely not uh hassle. So there was a little bit of that at first, like trying to weather that uh, and I was 23. Um, so I, I never really experienced anything like that before. Didn't even know who Chris was at the time. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. You, you keep drawing comparisons. Another one with coaches is kind of once you get that first big boy job, it just seems like you, there's no way to prepare. You think you're prepared. Um, sometimes ignorance is bliss. You're like, yeah, I, I can do this. I have confidence in myself, but then you get thrown in front of the bright lights. And like you said, trying to replace Chris and it's, it can be an uphill challenge. Totally. Totally. So yeah, I started the job in February and this is a story I probably wouldn't have the balls to tell a couple years ago, but now I'm really, I'm more comfortable in my own skin when it comes to broadcasting. Uh, so I get the job in February, uh, April Drake relays going down and I'm doing live shots and the first couple months are kind of a whirlwind and then it starts to slow down a little bit and then you start to get a little bit comfortable and I was starting to get a little bit more comfortable with the processes of everything, but the relays hit and that is a completely different animal. You know, they're kind of like, let me out of my own now. I don't have all this extra help through the, that I did through the first few months. So I get up there doing a live shot. It was about Lolo Jones. She's back, at, you know, in Des Moines. And she, she, she's telling us a story about how she has like shrunk her steps from like five steps to four steps for that first hurdle, which apparently in uh, like hurdle racing is really important. And it's really only guys do it. So I was explaining how she's a woman and trying to do this. And I, it really came out horribly wrong. And it, it was like a five minute live shot. Cause I just couldn't, couldn't get to the point. I couldn't get to the end. And uh, man, I was, I was devastated. And I get back to the station. It's 10 30, 11 o'clock at night is a long day. I was exhausted. And Keith was still there and Keith sits me down. He's like, Michael, we just, you've had a couple rough live shots this week. And so we're, we're going to take you off live shots here for the next couple months. So I got benched and it was so humbling. And like, I'm confident in myself. I know what I could do. I know what I'm capable of. Um, but I, I was just, I was completely failing miserably and it was uh, very emotional. You know, I'm a emotional guy. So I'm, I'm like crying in front of Keith. I'm like, man, just give me another chance, but I get it. I, maybe I need a couple months just to, clear my mind, whatever it may take. But, you know, it goes from that to, uh, you know, they finally put me back on live shots and it, it took a while to, you know, take the training wheels off again. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it became a thing. Now I loved doing live shots. Uh, one of my last, not one of my last, but one of my more proud moments, we're doing live shots on the USS Iowa at the Rose Bowl. And I'm there by myself and I'm setting up the live shot by myself and I'm hammering out these live shots back to back to back and we're having a lot of fun and it was just such a stark contrast to what it was a few years prior but obviously Keith helped usher me through all that stuff it's it sounds very much like a freshman coming into the first basketball season and maybe having some few things go really good early and then hitting a rough patch and then ultimately you know continuing with the right mentorship and leadership and coaching being able to um, by the time you get to that senior year really have a successful career um, in, in your time. And so with that, then you talked about kind of uh, putting a bow on that. So, so two part question one, obviously leaving WHO, uh, it sounds like had to have been a tough decision for you. Um, so talk about that, but ultimately then leading into what it is that you do, what you do now. And, and, and honestly, and how this came about, it almost feels like you almost created this position for yourself. And so how did, how did it come about to be able to get you over to Drake? Yeah. I mean, it was such a unique time I'm, I was about to get married um so I knew I wanted to be in Des Moines my contract was coming up 
uh, in about six months. So I knew there would have to be a, uh, re-signing for three years at the same position, being the number three guy with John and Keith, which is a blast. Like I love every minute of it. Um, but at the same time, like I'm pushing, I'm creeping closer to 30. I'm about to get married. It's like, what, like, what do I do here? I feel like it was just, I was ready for some, something new, a new challenge. And, um, so about, you know, in July, um, the floods happen and, um, it was craziness around the, the news department. I mean, we're seeing these rains come down in the middle of summer and there are no news reporters around. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go out, like cancel sports. I'm going to go out. I'm just going to get in position to, you know, help make sure people are safe. And so I was kind of the point man that weekend on the floods, especially on the news side. Well, uh, while we're covering this, we hear uh, in the middle of the night that Larry Kotler has died because of the floods. And so it just became a natural transition when it comes to news for me to cover all of that. Um, so I, I went to Larry's funeral. Um, I covered uh, all this um, kind of stuff leading up to, um, to that day. Um, it was, it was really, it was tragic in many ways. Um, but it, th throughout the whole time, I'm talking to Brian Harden and I'm talking to Darren DeVries and I'm talking to all these people that are involved with Drake. And Larry, of course, was the play-by-play -play voice of Drake prior to me getting here. And I just like really appreciated how everybody was carrying themselves and how like tight knit everybody was. And um, that just stayed in my mind, that just stayed with me. Um, so about a month later, I, that itch of like, I need something more, I need a, a, to challenge myself kind of kept popping up. And I messaged Andy Fails, who's a Drake alum. And I was like, hey, what do you, what do you think about me like being the play-by-play -play voice of Drake? Like, do you think Brian Harden would be up for that? And so they start talking. and we just kind of get into this conversation of maybe making that happen. Well, it kind of became a reality. I, br I bring it up to Keith. I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like do you, how much flexibility would there be December, January, February into March for me to do both, like be the reporter and do play by play. I think it would be really great for Drake. And I think it'd be good for channel 13. Um, and uh, basically it just became clear that like, I wouldn't be able to do both. And so Keith said, why don't you talk to Brian about doing some social media stuff for them as well? Like tell them that you'll tell stories for Drake. I mean, that's what they need right now. Somebody that will tell their story on, on social media. And so Brian Harden and I got together in like mid August, late August. And we just started chatting about it and uh, his wheels got turning. We had some really good conversations and then it stopped for like two months, I didn't hear from Brian. And on uh, the way back from our honeymoon, uh, so we're in Italy, we're in Naples, Italy, and I'm sitting at the airport with my wife and we just had this whirlwind of a, of a two weeks, Italy getting married, we're having a blast, but we were kind of like, what's next? Like, we're, we're, we've been looking for th this for the last two years, now what's next? And at the airport in Naples, I get an email from Brian offering me the job. And I was like, I looked at her and again, I'm an emotional guy. I look at her and I'm like crying. She's like, what's the matter? I'm like, read this email. And we just kind of knew right then that uh, Drake was going to be the next stop. It, uh, it, it kind of sounds like you need to be traveling whenever you're waiting for a job response. Cause whenever you're on the road or somewhere you, you get the, you get the, yeah, I know that's so true. <laughs> I didn't even think about, I didn't put two and two together until now, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm always on the road, man. I, like we're road tripping or going on a trip here or there. Whenever I'm not like working, I've got to be going and doing. And my wife's the same way. So we're, we're the perfect partnership in that sense. Is that, uh, is that the reason for the, the camper remodel or how's yeah. that come along? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it was a disaster. I don't know if you guys saw. So I, we bought a camper. Uh, it was completely spur of the moment in the middle of summer. I was like, I'm going to redo a camper. And so I buy it and I start getting through it and I'm not really a handy guy, but I try to be, and I got the whole thing. And then February, or not February, August 9th, 
uh, I get a phone call from my uh, brother-in-law um, and he, he's, we had it out at their property. They've got some property and he calls me. He's like, man, the camper's gone. The derecho came through and ripped it off its frame. And I was just like, I was like, dude, I'm, I don't know what to do. Uh, and a side note, Anna and I both tested positive for coronavirus on that same day. So we had a hell of a, day, a hell of a Monday back in August. Uh, but no, yeah, uh, we actually, my uh, grandpa had two extra campers uh, that he was trying to get rid of. And so he gave us one of the extra campers and it needs no remodel, uh, which is good. And so, yeah, now we're, uh, we got it in November and now it's like, it's winter eyes. So we're waiting for uh, the summer to, to bust it out. <laughs> oh good man that that's good yeah i didn't that's quite the story too like i said i just had saw you'd posted yeah. something at some point so i knew that it was in the works but i didn't hear how it ended up but um hey so now let's transition into that job uh in a big part of the reason why we have you on with your position at drake um obviously the social media side of things and what you've been doing and the stories that you've been telling is is awesome for the school awesome for the athletic program um, and so, so maybe uh, talk to a little bit about what the actual job title consists of, and then, um, kind of personal question as far as like making these videos, um, and are you doing all the shooting and the editing or, or do you have a couple guys that help you out or how does that all work in these, these polished videos that we see online? Um, well, thank you, uh, for saying that they're polished because sometimes I just slapped them together in about an hour. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's mostly me. Um, we do have one one other guy uh, in our department that uh, it does broadcasting stuff, but he's mainly on like the production side. So intro videos in venue stuff, the ESPN three broadcast, all that stuff. So that's kind of his niche um, where I'm more of like the storytelling aspect of it. Um, but yeah, so my, my job title uh, is the director of, of broadcasting, which I don't know if it's like, we kind of made that up along with many other things. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's still a work in progress. Um, I just try to tell stories when they pop up, um, try to do as much video content as I can for the men's basketball team. And then we do some stuff uh, with other, with the other sports here. We have 18 sports. So you know, trying to give a little bit of love here and there to everybody. Um, and then also we, we produce about 80 games in-house for ESPN3 or ESPN+. Plus. So I, I do like probably 10 to 15 games a year on TV broadcast for those, play-by-play uh, -play or video camera or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of hit and miss. It, basically my job is to tell the story of Drake and whichever way we feel best that day, uh, that's, kind of what, that's kind of what we roll with. Um, and that's kind of, that's my day job. Uh, we've been really, really getting into podcasts recently because I mean, that's like the easiest, um, like the, the easiest platform to use right now, because it's so hard to get people in the same room to tell a story. So, uh, the podcast saying we launched our network back in March and we're still rolling with it now. And it's, it's been a really nice success. So that's a, that's been a fun new thing this year for us. It's nice to have the freedom to kind of go in the direction that the story takes you um, in the platform in which that makes the most sense um, as well. Obviously, like you mentioned, a uh, uh, podcast and even for us, I mean, this is this is morphed a little bit because of, of the pandemic and got more people have more time to sit down and have conversations. And so it, uh, it has definitely worked out well. Um, but with that, so you mentioned obviously the bigger two programs in which that you cover are, are, are spent on the basketball side. And so first, talk a little bit about the women's program um, and uh, the fun and success that you've had um, covering those girls and their program. But uh, ultimately, too, I mean, that's a program throughout the state that just year after year after year after year just is building on top of itself and just has a, had a ton of success. Well, uh, I mean, Jenny Bronchek is amazing uh, in many ways, not only as a X's and O's basketball coach. Have you guys ever had Jenny on, actually? We, we have not. I've, she talked okay. at a, a convention for a realtor association that I was part of, and I'm, I, I loved it. So, I was, so yeah. she's, she's high on the list. We want to get her on. <laughs> she, she would be so good at this platform, too, because she's, she's big on X's and O's, don't get me wrong, but she is so big in, like, the mental game. 
um, and getting her her players mentally prepared, whatever whatever it takes, uh, not only just for basketball but for life. Um, so I always really appreciate being around her team. Uh, they actually have they hired or they hire each year a like video content producer. It's a GA position. So every year they have somebody that's just women's basketball. So I actually don't get to go over and do a ton of video content for them uh, until like we get down to, you know, March where we got to do some stuff for the Drake athletics pages. Um, so I, I try to do as much as I can for them uh, because it's a blast, but I'm at every game in some capacity uh, and they're, they're just, a, they're a blast. Uh, it, the games are fun. They score a lot of points. Uh, they can they can shoot. They can pass. Uh, they they do it all. But they're just like a fun group to be around. And I think consistency has helped with that program too. Obviously, Jenny and her staff. Um, you know, obviously staffs changing, but for the most part, the core has been there. The philosophy has been consistent, and they just continue to find the girls that fit that mold. And it, it's so important, especially at Drake. And you guys know this a little bit with Northern Iowa and. It, it's so important to have that leader at the top. And like Jenny, she's the head women's basketball coach, but she's, she's so much more within this department. She's somebody that everybody looks to for advice, um, for institutional knowledge. I mean, she's been here longer than our AD. She's been here longer than, uh, I mean, 80% of our coaches, more than that, 90% of our coaches. So, and employees. So, she, she knows what it takes to, to get through and get by here and to win and be successful at Drake. Um, and right now, like it, it's, it's a really good storm that we have right now with the women's program and the men's program finally reaching um, where everybody knew that they could go. Um, and just hopefully we can ride this wave as long as possible. Yeah. So one more thing with Jenny, obviously it's yeah. probably no secret that uh, she's, she's had some people come calling, but uh, are we going to be able to keep her in the mind? What do you think? I hope so, man. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. I know she loves it here. Uh, her family's here. She has uh, three kids that are right around the program. Uh, she's able to recruit a certain type of person, uh, somebody, uh, a person that's has to be driven uh, academically, uh, somebody that, has to be uh, integrated in the community. Um, and it, it makes just such a special program. So I, I hope we get to keep around. I know uh, any program uh, would be, be lucky to have her, but I think we're doing something special here. So uh, hopefully, hopefully she's sticking around for the, for the long haul. She has been here like eight or I think this is her ninth season though. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's been, uh, it's been nice to have her. And like I said, hopefully we can keep her. And um, speaking about nice to have Darren DeVries, getting him into town uh, seems to be a really nice fit um, on the men's side. Um, we've had obviously a few of his staff members and former staff members on, but uh, the one thing with them is they, and I said it on the podcast with those guys too, how do they continue to uh, overperform? I mean, it is something where the expectations uh, maybe coming into the year and these guys always overachieve. Oh man. Uh, I think uh, you have to look at the top. I mean, you have to look at Darren DeVries. I mean, he's such an even keeled guy. Uh, you ask him like, um, you know, even like off the record type stuff where you're like, oh man, how, how you feeling about, you know, this person or that person? And he's like, mm, yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. Or, or how you feeling about this situation? Yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. I was talking to him yesterday uh, for the Drake coaches show. And I was like, how are you going to get this team ready in seven days? I mean, they've been off for, uh, you know, more than two weeks. Uh, there's a return to play protocol that these guys have to go through. Um, so you're not, you're not getting half your starting lineup back until Monday. So how do you, or Sunday, I guess, how are you going to get these guys ready? And he's like, no excuses, man. Like we'll just find a way. And, you know, Nick Norton goes down in year one. They win the conference championship. Uh, Tramel Murphy goes down in year two. Went, go to back-to-back -back Missouri Valley Conference semifinals for the first time in program history. Year three, Liam Robbins bounces up to Minnesota 13-0. and 0. I mean, it, it is remarkable. We're not taking it for granted, I can tell you that much. 
but uh, it all goes with um, just his steadiness, the, um, the culture that he has begun to establish, and then the guys that he has brought in. Uh, you know, he, he has guys here that have been here for three years now. They know what's up. They know the expectation. And it is to, to compete for a championship. Well, and too, I mean, from a on-court side of things, this has to be one of the more athletic teams that we've we've seen at Drake in a, in a long time. Um, excited to get them back on the court and, and hopefully be able to start slowly getting more fans in. But uh, what do you see moving forward with this squad? Like I said, I mean, obviously athletic. Uh, the guys seem to play for the, the name on the front. And uh, uh, I guess what are your expectations here for the back half of the year? Yeah, I mean, there's so much unknown right now. I mean, this team was – you know, moving and grooving. And it was like, all, like you said, all the small stuff, 50-50 balls, they're winning them. Defensively, they're defending for the entire length of the court, baseline to baseline. Uh, the effort plays were all there. They're knocking down shots in rhythm. Uh, they're connected uh, defensively, connected offensively. They were doing everything, um, all those small things, so right. Uh, when you're not playing for 14 days or 21 days when they finally get back on the court, I mean, that's a, that's a concern. You, you uh, hope that they can pick up right where they left off, but it's not that easy uh, to just, you know, flip a switch. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this group moves forward. Now, uh, a couple of things that you can rely on is the head coach and the coaching staff here. The culture is established. There are no excuses. You have five guys from the same area at Northwest Indiana. They're all playing for each other. Uh, they're, they're such a tight-knit group. They've been through it all, you know, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school. They've done all this, junior college. They've all been through this together, and now they're just doing it on a bigger stage. Um, and then you have, you have those, you know, X factors within the team that um, seem to make this whole thing gel together with, you know, a, a Garrett Sturts and a Darnell Brody. And, I mean, we could go, we could go on and on. Joe Yesifu, we, uh, with, we'd go on and on with some of those guys, but um, – yeah, I, I have faith that this team's going to be able to pick it back up, but uh, it, it'll be interesting, man. Uh, I'm, as, I'm as curious as uh, any fan would be. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a, a couple of things. One, obviously, Darren DeVries and, and being able to overcome adversity. And as you said, it sounds like personality-wise is the perfect man for the job. But then the closeness of the team um, and like the guys from the same area, like you said, it's, if any team can do it, it's going to be the strike team. And I know that I hope I didn't, I didn't jinx them, but uh, you know, when they were sitting at like eight or nine and oh, um, I was like, man, it's just amazing. They've even played eight or nine games because at yeah. the time I think Gonzaga was number one. It was like four and one or something. They've only played five games and, you know, Drake had nine games and I'm like, man, this is great. And then we get to 13 and oh, and this is what happens. It's so wild too. Like we had no positives all fall. None. I mean, the team was so good about it. And none of those are Thanksgiving peaks, uh, you know, that late July peak, all that. Nobody got it. It's crazy. Um, a couple guys got it back in like April and May um, when they went back home and this through the traveling and all that stuff. Um, but it, it's wild. And then, yeah, one, one person gets it here and it kind of uh, spreads throughout the team. And now a handful of guys get it and it shuts it all down so uh just timing really sucked going into that loyal uh, matchup i know everybody was, was so excited so just got to find a way to kind of recapture that yeah and hopefully they can you know um yeah i was i was actually playing i, I think they were going to allow fans into that yep. into that loyal game so uh yeah that that was a bummer for me too <laughs> um well you mentioned it too here up here a couple seconds ago about their coaching staff you know we've talked to We've we've talked to Matt Woodley, we've talked to Marty Richter, and knowing those guys for so long, you know, obviously Matt Woodley has experience under Tony Bennett. He has head coaching experience, and you know Marty Richter has just been a, you know he's he's coached under Dan Dockett. He's been a head coach and now an assistant coach. We talk about how that's been, uh, how that is, of is invaluable when you're when you're a first time head coach. What do you think that? Um, you know, how do you, how do you think that played out, you know, with those two, with those two, two coaches coming in, what, 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 what kind of value do you think they brought in for, for coach DeVries? Uh, a, a ton. Uh, and first like shout out to both Woodley and Marty. Like I don't, I don't know basketball. I never played basketball. I really don't understand the X's and O's or, or did it when I first got here. And 
I, I gave my first season tape to Woodley and he listened to the games and came back and gave me feedback. Like that's how awesome Matt Woodley is. Uh, and then Marty Richter, like he's a guy I can still ask stupid questions to and he'll be like, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a burn cut. All right, cool. Or what, what's a burn cut? And he'll explain it. What's a curl? He'll, he'll explain that. Um, some of those little things that uh, are really important as a broadcaster to be able to pick up on, uh, they really help uh, guide me through that. So they helped me out a ton. And I know the head coaching experience, I think, was huge for, for Darren, uh, having a couple of guys on his bench that have led a team before. And also guys that like respect that line. They, they know how big of a gap it is from, you know, being – uh, an assistant coach, the top assistant coach to being the head coach at one seat. Cause they always told me like that one seat, that's a huge jump. It, it's so much different. The pressure is, is gigantic between their, you know, one seat over. Um, so I think just having that respect for Darren and knowing that uh, what he is going through as a first time head coach. And I mean, it's well-documented uh, Darren and Matt come in here with three dudes on the roster uh, and they had a, they had to go. I mean, they had to find some guys and they constructed a really impressive roster and special thanks to Marty Richter. Uh, you know, Marty brings up a couple guys from Florida Southwestern who are now staples. Uh, I mean, huge fan favorites for us. And then down the road, you know, you get a guy like tank uh, who had that connection from Florida Southwestern as well. So um, that some of the recruiting uh, invaluable, but I think the biggest thing was just that respect level, having a couple guys that, that know what it's like to be a head coach. You talked about the comparisons between moving up one chair. I thought Marty summarized it perfect when he was on and talked about, it's like becoming a parent. He's like, you, you know, you, yeah, you're doing all this stuff. You feel like you're busy and then you become a parent. It's like becoming a head coach and there's no days off. You're always on, you're always responsible. You're always looking. And so, um, so that's great. Uh, so I, one question here before, before we jump into our rapid fire for you, um, we've, we've had some inquiries from people asking us to do some color commentary. Um, what advice do you have for people who have never done color commentary? Be yourself. I mean, number one, seriously, it, it sounds so cheesy, uh, but, but it is just don't try to go in there and be, uh, you know, don't, don't try to be, be somebody that you're not. Don't try to copycats. Don't be Jay Billis. Jay Billis is Jay Billis. Uh, be yourself. And uh, I, I've, that's advice that like, it sounds so simple, but even like myself, I have, sometimes I like, Michael, stop. You sound stupid. Just be yourself. <laughs> Uh, have fun with the game and put your own touch on it. And that's because people, people can see through, can see if you're genuine. And I think for, for me, especially like getting into this job, I, I had no radio play-by-play -play experience until I accepted this job, until I started at Drake. And year one was rough, but I tried to be as genuine as possible and let people in knowing like, hey, I, I get it. I'm not good at this. But together, we're going to get somewhere and, and I will eventually figure this out. Um, and I, I think I kind of have, or at least starting to get there, but um, it's just about being, being genuine, being who you are. And uh, it's at the end of the day, it's just basketball. You know, it's not, you're not like finding the vac the vaccine to COVID-19. Yeah. yeah. That's not what you're doing here. It's just talking sports. So um, yeah, have some fun with it. Well, uh, well, I know I wrote that down and uh, we might be reaching out if uh, we if we get farther down that road to maybe trying to become a Michael Admire. But uh, we appreciate we appreciate that advice for sure. Um, as Brian mentioned, <clears throat> we like to end our, our episodes with a little section we call rapid fire. Um, we'll hit you with a couple questions and uh, you tell us the first thing that comes to mind. OK. All right. Let's have a little fun here. Um, favorite visiting venue that you've broadcasted in? So outside of the nap, obviously we all love the nap. Where's, where's someplace cool that you've gone and, and done some broadcasting at? I mean, we, we honestly haven't done a, a ton of cool places yet. Like we've been to Colorado, Air Force, Loyola is really cool. Uh, but I would say my favorite so far has been Dayton. That's uh, just, it's where the, you know, the first four is. Um, you know, there's that NCAA tournament history uh it, it, that was really cool Cincinnati was cool but Dayton with the they had they did like a huge renovation uh so that was fun to to call a game from there 
And you weren't you weren't able to go out to the Little Apple this year, though, were you? No, man. I, I I'm from Kansas City, so like I've been out there. Like I've been to uh, oh gosh, what is that little area? I always forget it. Anyway, they have like a cool cool downtown. They have like, area. A, they have like a ped mall type area in Manhattan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, I did a basketball camp out there in Manhattan. It's like obviously in the middle of nowhere, but it is super cool once you get into Manhattan. Aggieville. Aggieville okay. is what it's called. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I was so pumped about it. Uh, and like Brady Ellingson and I were talking, like, I can't wait to show you this, this, and this. And then we thought we were going to be a little bit farther along than we actually were. And uh, yeah, I had to stay back home. But I was really excited to get a chance to call a game in, in the octagon of doom. But that will have to wait. Yep, that, another time. So um, best pizza in Des Moines? <laughs> mm, it's a tricky one. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with Doco. I, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it's somewhat new, but they have a lot of uh, really good options. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with Doco. Love it. Um, who's your all-time favorite chief? Derek Thomas. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Where I, wore, I wore the gray sleeves underneath my uh, – Little League Pop Warner football jersey <laughs> and wore number 58 until I moved to quarterback. <laughs> um, what's the outlook uh, this weekend? Mahomes going to be able to go? I'm so sick of people trying to play doctor on uh, TV or radio <laughs> that I'm not going to. Uh, I, hope, I hope he's okay. Um, I, think, I think he'll be okay. I think he'll be ready to go. Uh, from the sounds of it, it's not a concussion, but maybe more of a, a pinched nerve. So uh, he better – I hope he's able to go. I don't want to push a guy, but uh, we kind of need him. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so if you go on, who wants to be a millionaire? Who are you going to put down for your phone a friend? Man, I'd probably have to go with my dad. Um, he, he has just a lot of use. Well, him or, him or Keith Murphy, because uh, Keith knows like, I mean, every movie – Every actor or actress uh, since since he was born in 1910, he knows all of them. Uh, so it would be one of those two guys. I wondered about Keith because he does seem to have an amazing recall. Like he oh. can, you know, a conversation comes up and he's recalling everything like it happened yesterday. It just it blows my mind. His short-term memory kind of sucks because <laughs> uh, you'll tell him something one week and be like, oh, I don't remember that. Uh, uh, but man, he can recall everything. He has some, he's a great mind to pick because he has some great stories. That's good. Uh, favorite sports movie? I mean, it's probably cheating, but remember the Titans. Uh, it, it came out during a time like I was playing football, I was playing high school football. We were the Titans in high school. And so it just kind of had all the, the, connect, the connections there. So uh, I would say... I would say that, or Major League, but we'll go remember Ooh. the Titans. Yeah, Major League, okay. Yeah, um, you mentioned uh, growing up when you said, you mentioned Raytown, um, <laughs> where you originally grew up from. Uh, a buddy of mine and I were down uh, spring break one year, and we were, just got in town late, and we needed to watch the games and get something to eat. So we went to an Applebee's in Raytown, and the first Applebee's – first Applebee's I've ever been to they had like a security guard standing I'm like what is going on? are we in the wrong place here what's going on well I know exactly which Applebee's you're talking about uh <laughs> been there a handful of times and uh yeah Raytona Beach is what we call it it's, uh, it's a beautiful beautiful town <laughs> yeah I, I I guess I can see why you why you moved out it would be west right Lee Summit's a little west east, of Raytona. Yeah, east, east okay yeah. yep no that's good <laughs> Um, so speaking of that childhood, then what's the song that reminds you most of your childhood? Oh my gosh. Uh, it, this is super lame, but it'd probably have to be like some NSYNC or Backstreet Boys song. I mean, I, I grew okay. up in, in the nineties, <laughs> uh, into the two thousands. So it'd probably have to be that, or like, a just a, a classic, like Sammy Kershaw, you know, riding in the pickup truck with my dad uh something along those lines it's it's funny to think about those my wife and i will, will kind of songs will come on and we'll talk about what song we had on the the mixtape before football or volleyball or whatever yeah. sports it was and it's like oh man like could we have i mean so cheesy but yeah there, there's some 
NSYNC was like, I loved NSYNC. I went to, that was like my first big, big concert I ever went to was, was NSYNC. Um, <laughs> but my dad loved, uh, just loves country music. I love country music. So listen to a lot of uh, country growing up. But then, yeah, once you get into high school, you're, you're into some more like the rap and rock and you're, that, that's what gets you pumped up on game day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so what's your, uh, what's the favorite, your favorite Drake moment? Um, that you've covered in your time? I would say probably winning the championship, you know, clinching the regular season championship down at Missouri State. Uh, it was just like, set, I mean, DJ Wilkins went out, Nordy was out. Um, it, it was just, and it was such a uh, team effort getting to that point. And you start to know these guys and these players, and then they finally reach like that pinnacle and, they did what nobody thought that they could do and win a championship in year one. It was really special. Um, I will say like, I loved them wiping the floor with Northern Iowa last year. It was so awesome. Uh, and that night, like the celebration that night from like, just all, I mean, the coaches, everybody else is doing their thing, but my wife was in town. Uh, Paul Dorfeld and I were out. Some of the administrators were out and, uh, Randy Hauser was playing at uh, Ballpark Village. So Randy Hauser was bumping on the main stage. We're, we're having a great time. It was, it was amazing. Um, so that, that was another favorite moment. Yeah, those are, those are good. Like you said, that, that first year, um, the ultimate next man in persona. I mean, those guys yeah. came, I mean, from Nordy to the end of the year with guys dropping out and still having success and just seemed like a good group of guys. And uh um, yeah, and, and then the, all the matchups last year against you and I was, was was a battle, and so then to have that performance that they had, I think uh, down in the tournament, definitely kind of made that probably even a little bit sweeter. Yeah, and like I, I'm all in on the dogs, so when I when I see like all this coverage about Northern Iowa and blah, blah, blah and then they come into our house and stomp us uh, on a ESPN broadcast, we were so excited to have that opportunity and. Uh, you know, they win by 20 and it wasn't even, it felt like 50. Um, it was just, uh, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm a broadcaster. So I'm like feeling for our guys. Like I, I, I know how good they are and how good they can be. Um, but at the same time, like it just didn't show that day. Um, but then a week later they got that opportunity and it was, it was pretty sweet. I was going to say that, that I think the, I would, I would like to see where that falls in like record books of, you know, a game and then the next game yeah. the team, because like, you know, you and I, as you said, wiped the floor with you guys down down here on ESPN by what are twenty five, and then yeah. and you guys end up beating them by twenty seven the following week, which was just, uh, um, a, I mean, a great win for you guys, and um, you know, uh, a really exciting time as you mentioned. Yeah, it, it was cool. It was cool, and like I'm all about uh, trying to get this rivalry going. So uh, I'm gonna talk a little smack. I love I love Ben. I, I love that team up there. They're awesome. Uh, good people, but I'm gonna talk smack because uh, we got to get this uh, Panther Bulldog rivalry going. <laughs> I'm all only, for that. I was gonna say only be good thing for the state, that's for sure. So, you, Adam, you mentioned the swing between in a week. It, you just kind of sound like you're talking about Iowa weather, though, going on a 50 <laughs> 50 degree swing in a week. So, um, all right. So, last one, we'll get you out of here. You kind of mentioned it. You talked about it uh, kind of all throughout. But what is your favorite and or the best part about your job and, and being able to cover these young athletes at Drake? Um, yeah. It, it, first off, it is just being around the, the Drake student athletes. And the Drake student athlete is different than uh, anywhere else in the country. Uh, I can promise you that. They're, it's a special, uh, special breed, man, because uh, they got to – they got to go through some rigorous classes. Uh, they got to hold a really high standard in the classroom. Uh, and then also that those expectations carry over to the basketball court. So, or to whatever the playing surface may be. So I I'm always like dumbfounded by how impressive the student athletes are from, you know, the basketball team to the rowing team, to the tennis squad, to the football team. I mean, just constantly, blown away but also like I, I love being back on a team you know uh when you're covering sports for koam or who you're you stay down the line uh, you know it's there's there's not really that team feel but now i get to wear a, a blue drake sweatshirt 
and uh, I get to, you know, rock the dogs uh, in, in Des Moines. And I get to be, uh, live with the highs and lows of a season. And that's pretty, that's pretty special. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's uh, that that is a good point. I never thought of it that way. Being able to be a part of the team is huge, and and as you mentioned, being a part of these teams, have you been on the the golf um, team vans that uh, they got? Uh, from? what's the deal with those? Those are something else. Those are slick. Yeah, they do not uh, allow my kind uh, onto those. <laughs> I think they're BMWs or Mercedes Benz. I they're sweet. Uh, uh, one of the, we had a couple donors involved, and one of the guys uh, is Zach Johnson. And he came in and they, they pimped it out. It's, uh, it's nice. And that's, I mean, that's what, that's one example and a great example actually uh, of what we're trying to do at Drake. Um, we're trying to make this a first-class experience for every student athlete that steps on campus or walks through the nap center or shivers um, or the bell center. I mean, or the field house. I mean, it is a, uh, there, there's a lot of effort and a lot of people involved in trying to make uh make Drake a, a special place here um, and really be Des Moines hometown team. Well, and I think it's working. I think all the work that you guys are putting in and yourself included and, and getting the, getting the word out is, is definitely working and we're on board. We're following along. We love it. So keep up the good work. We appreciate you taking some time, Michael, and jumping on with us today. And uh, anyway, we can help in the future. Obviously let us know. Yeah, let's, let's stay in touch. Uh, we, we're always looking for people to help out with color commentating. So uh, well, uh, I got you guys' numbers now. Awesome. And now we have some advice too. So maybe we can do that. <laughs> It'll be seamless. Trust me. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as Brian mentioned, Michael, we appreciate your time. Um, you know, we know you got a lot of stuff going on and, uh, hopefully the season can get going here again very soon and, uh, can, can end as, as planned, I guess you might say. So, um, and to our listeners, as usual, we appreciate you as well. If you like what you hear, we would appreciate a five-star rating wherever you catch your podcast. You can find us on every social media channel on Facebook, Shooters Touch, Twitter and Instagram at Shooters Touch IA, and our brand new website, ShootersTouchPodcast.com. And as usual, Shooters Shoot. That's really all.